to the host by Tori show. I'm sorry, but we are not going to have a fun intro this week because I've just had so much going on the personal side over the last four or five days. And unfortunately, I'm feeling a little bit behind on wedding planning slash prep and all of that. But you know what? Life just comes at you sometimes and you have to kind of go right back into it. So here we are. Let's get into today's episode. We have a very real and raw conversation with Lily Geiger. Lily is super impressive. She is a 27-year-old founder of the non-alcoholic aperitivo brand Philia. Really what this is, is born out of a desire to have more honest and inclusive conversations around alcohol consumption. And the reason for this is that Lily watched her father battle with alcoholism at the age of 20 and lost him to the disease. So she decided to create Philia for those that are going zero proof for whatever reason. And I absolutely love that. And she's doing it in a way where she's building community. She's making it fun. She's making an inclusive dinner table that's open to all types of experiences and stories. And a huge bonus for us is that it's all natural ingredients, meaning there's no added sugars and no preservatives. And I really wanted to just sit down with Lily and talk more about the conversation around having a parent that's battled with alcoholism, whether that's the sad parts, it's the learnings and how she's grown with it. So I'll share a little bit more on what we discussed. We talked about Lily's experience growing up with an alcoholic parent and how that informed her view of drinking, our thoughts on the mindful drinking space, and how we see it evolving over the next several years, how Lily started her company in Brandphilia with no prior experience in product development or entrepreneurship, and where she's focusing a lot of her time, more on the brand that Lily wants Philia to be, and specifically how she's looking to build community. Philia is awesome. It's a sophisticated, non-alcoholic aperitivo. It's in 400 plus stores right now. She's crushing it. And so I am excited for you to hear more. Lily, thank you for coming on the podcast. I want to dive into everything Philia and the backstory behind creating that because I'm so interested in one, woman founders, but two, non-alcoholic brands and beverages that are actually delicious. But wanted to first hear around the backstory on why you eventually decided to create this brand dealing with alcoholism growing up and and really what sparked Philia in the first place. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. And yeah, no, I, I started Philia, I think, out of just pure passion for the sober community and and wanting to, you know, first and foremost, accommodate to them and to uh, come up with something that didn't trigger the taste of alcohol for those who are like actively fighting every day to not drink, but also taste sophisticated and look sophisticated. So was brought up by an alcoholic parent. So my dad was an alcoholic my, pretty much my whole life and passed away from the disease when I was 20. So I think I definitely was aware of the options that were not available to the non-drinker at the time. I think it was mostly just like soft drinks and juice and that sort of thing, which in a group setting can feel super juvenile and just kind of sets that person apart from yeah. the community, especially yeah. in like a gathering or bar restaurant setting. So, yeah. So growing up, just to, to dive a little bit more into that, like when did you realize that your dad might have had a problem with drinking? Because I feel like now it's, or it can be easy to look back on in signals of, you know, maybe there was something that may not have been right or, you know, ways that Mm -hmm. you're interacting with a parent, but it can also be really challenging as someone who's going through those developmental years where your parent is supposed to be taking care of you. And you almost feel like you probably have to be doing a little bit of the opposite. And so 
what was that like growing up? Like, when did you start to realize that? And what changes did you make in your life growing up that you took from those experiences and, and either wanted to pivot away from or informed some of your earlier drinking habits? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting that you say that. I don't think I've ever gotten that question, but it's really interesting to think back on it to kind of think when was like that cognitive like shift of just like, okay, my parent has a drinking problem and they need help. It's not something that's like going to be a quick fix. So I think I was probably maybe around 12 when I, it was like something that I figured I would need help. Like I couldn't fix myself. I think it was, I was like going to camp and my dad's family was having an intervention for him. And I didn't know until I guess like a family member had dropped me off at camp and they were like, your dad's going to be staying somewhere, you know, i.e. rehab and you can send your letters there. And so we would like write letters to and from camp and rehab. And it was kind of, I think hard for me to, to take that shift mentally of just like, okay, can this person be trusted by like his family and can, um, I guess people saw us differently. I feel like from that point on of just like, oh, you know, this person has a problem, you know, can they be trusted driving me and my cousins or that sort of thing. And I think I, I definitely, it made sense, you know, once my aunt told me that because, you know, my dad had been drinking and you just can, you know, when someone's drunk, right. And especially when that's your caretaker, kind of like what you're saying, like, that's your protector. It's like, oh, I'm scared because my protector can't protect me. I'm protecting them. I'm not only scared when they're drunk and confused, but I'm also, you know, now the keeper of these lies or I I can't, you know, share it with, you know, my parents were divorced. I was like alone with my dad in those moments. Like I, can I tell my mom, will she let me still see him? Which there Mm. were so many instances of, you know, no, my mom would find out. I'd go to therapy and tell the therapist, the therapist would tell my mom. And then I would not be able to see my dad for a period of time. If like, you know, she found out that he was drinking and driving with me in the car, that sort of thing, which, you know, unfortunately happened many times. So that I think, you know, long story short was, was kind of the point. I think I was around like 12 or maybe 11. Yeah. And was there resentment towards him because of you seeing him throughout the years of like either wanting him to get better and and not being able to, or was it that you wanted to hold on to those moments even more so? And I can imagine having divorced parents can be really hard in the sense that you know, your, your mom wants to protect you in a certain instance, but you still have this relationship with your dad. And so how did you manage through that? I think it was hard because I think growing up, I was much closer with my dad and my mom got remarried pretty quickly. So I think my dad Mm. was just kind of like my, which is like, you know, you wouldn't think this would be the case, but like the more consistent thing in my life. And I think that, I think the resentment came later in life when I actually had stuff to do that I needed a parent support, like SATs, you know, applying to college, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think at the beginning stages of that, I was more so just confused and really upset, really sad. I think it was hard to understand relapsing at that time because it was just like, why can't you stop? Why can't you stop for me? Right. Don't you love me enough that you could stop drinking for me? And that really isn't what that's about. Right. It's not about you. It's like that, that person has, 
a disease and they are, you know, self-loathing, you know, they are totally ashamed. They hate themselves. Or at least that was the case with my dad. I can't speak for everyone, but I know that it was, it was really hard because you love that person and you really are trying your best to help them, but there's just nothing you can do. So I think that was the hardest part for me was just, you know, I would attend tons of therapy sessions or talk to sponsors or, you know, if I found alcohol, I'd pour it down the drain, that sort of thing. But that's just, you just, they slip through your fingers every time. They're just going to do what they have to do. And yeah, I think when I got older and I was applying to college, it was a matter of like, hey, I need someone to like have dinner on the table. I need someone to take me on these tours, which never happened to both of those things. It was like, that was, I think, mm-hmm. kind of the, the biggest fall with my dad. And I ended up moving out and living with my aunt and uncle for a really long time until I went to college oh. pretty much. So I think that that's when I realized, like, I, I actually have to protect myself. I have to um, take control of my life or else, like, I don't even know what will happen to me. Like, I remember I when I got into Wake Forest, my acceptance letter went to the address that was on my ID. That was my dad's address. And my dad was in rehab. And I got an early accept or early admission. And I almost didn't get to go because I missed the deadline because it just went to the address. And I was just like, this is another example of like, this is ruining my life. And my mom, you know, ended up obviously calling and being like, this is the situation, like, you're gonna have to help us figure this out. But that's just, I guess, another example of just, yeah, it was just miserable, just ruining my life. Yeah. (laughs) And, and thank you for sharing that. And in terms of you thinking about this experience and watching your dad and eventually starting Philia, what did you take out of this experience that you said, okay, I saw what my dad went through. I want to develop something that is a really great non-alcoholic beverage that people can feel included. People can sit at the bar and sip on. People can be at that moment and participate, but not need the alcohol. When was the turning point for you when you said, I need to create this non-alcoholic brand? And like, how did you look at the market and find the need specifically for Philia? Yeah. And I, I apologize. I didn't even answer your question before you were kind of saying like how this affected me with drinking, I think. And this will tie into this too. It's just like, you know, I drank throughout college, but I wasn't really the type of drinker that I feel like my peers were in a way where I, I never, I was always just, I think a little afraid of what could come of that. And those habits, I don't think just like evaporate when you graduate. So I think post-grad into COVID, I just noticed that especially during COVID, everyone was drinking more than usual. I think the drinking habits were just evolving. Like, you know, at least my roommate and I were like, should we have a glass of wine? It's 5 p.m. Like, we're so bored. What do we do? What can separate day from night, basically? Like, when can we, like, you know, draw that line of, like, when we can start relaxing? And I don't even know when that kind of, what day that was or what my turning point was, really. But I think I was just like, ew, I don't feel good. Like, I don't even want this glass of wine. I'm just, I want ritual. And so I think that was COVID was the time where I realized like, okay, I don't really want to drink anymore, but I couldn't find anything at least on the market that I could have every night that I was like, oh, I like the, this taste enough to like have it as my nightly thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I was like, there should be, you know, an option that isn't this or that, that could be like maybe both of those things or like less of this and more of that. And I was like, 
basically at a phase where I wanted to leave my old job and move back home to New York. I was living in LA at the time and I got here and I was like, I don't even know where to start, but I just have this like fire in me to do this. It's not like I worked in food and beverage before. I had no connections to any type of manufacturer, recipe developer, anyone, restaurant owner, like no one. And I was just like, okay, like I'm just going to give this a shot. And ended up going through every single, you know, process of getting this brand together via Zoom. Like it was COVID. So like nobody could meet in person, which is just like hilarious to think about now. And came to life on April 28th of 2021. So we're almost two years old. Well, congrats on that. But so, okay, you have no connections. Like what do you start? Like, do you Google R&D manufacturer in New York and, yes, and look Googling. at a, a list and cold call or like what what was the process? I I wasn't so hooked on New York per se. Like it wasn't like because I mean, I was living in the Berkshires at the time during COVID, but I knew I was going to move back to New York City because that's where I'm from. I knew anything near me was going to be really expensive. So I was more so just like looking for like the goal was to find a manufacturer that would be open to a small batch for a startup because that's the hardest thing or just like the quantities, you know, like a manufacturer is not going to be like, yeah, I'll like, you know, put you on my line for like a hundred bottles. Like that's not really a thing. You have to kind of work with them and you know, you're, I think minimum probably at, at least for us had to be like at least 2000. So we started with 3000 units And then from there, I found that this manufacturer that ended up having a recipe development team and they ended up helping me with our first round. And we we actually work with a new manufacturer now. And when we do plan on having more SKUs, we're going to work with another recipe developer. Not that there's anything wrong with the first, but I think we just, there were a few things that we wanted to change. But that was the biggest thing was just like Googling and calling or emailing and talking to people because I just had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, But I definitely had an idea for what I wanted. So that's, I think, what was my saving grace was I was like, okay, I want it to taste like this. And I want it to have a certain look where people are excited to drink it, that it stands for itself on a bar cart next to like a nice spirit. Like branding was really important. And I ended up having a branding team in mind. They were amazing. They were based out of New York and LA. And so I was really honored that they even took on my project because again, like I'm not anyone that's like well-known or anything or like had this, these connections. It was just kind of like, Hey, this is my idea. I have no idea what it's going to look like we're just both going to have to like envision it and create it. And so it was great. Yeah. And so in those moments, right, like how I'm kind of thinking about it is, did you write out a a business plan, not like a business plan, but have like a doc and be like, this is what I want my marketing message to be here is how I'm thinking about the branding. This is like the first product I want to get out. And, you know, people talk about their like avatar of their, of the audience that they're trying to, to market the product to. Did you go through that kind of process? And I know that, or from what I've seen, you are trying to hit the sober community first, but it's definitely not only for people who are sober, right? Because I use this term zero proof forward, where I don't drink the the vast majority of the time. And I like to lean into a lot of these non-alcoholic drinks, but I occasionally have a drink and I think more people are looking for mindful drinking options, but I think, which I think Philia really, really fits into that, but there's no like zero proof or not, there's no real like sans or zero proof or virgin right. like branding on it, which I, I personally really like because 
why should we need to call that out? It should just be another beverage that's enjoyed on your your drink cart versus like needing to call out that it doesn't necessarily have alcohol, in, in my opinion, at least. So I, I'd love to hear just like in your overall vision, how you decided to write out and think about who you wanted to market this to and and what product and like how did you how did you get that first 3000 out there what was your go to market plan on getting feedback and and how people would find it and i'm sure it was probably like d to c at first just given distribution so hard but can you talk a little bit about that yeah so i mean i can't say i had this like official business plan given just that i did not even know much about starting a company at all so like it definitely was scrappy but organized scrappy. Like I definitely had had enough experience with working with small brands in my last job to kind of have an idea of how I wanted to spin this. I think, yeah, like I said, you know, I wanted to cater first and foremost to the sober community for those who are dealing with addiction, because that's something that I think is hard with these, you know, non-alcoholic gins, non-alcoholic beers. Like at the end of the day, they still taste like that spirit or that, you know, beverage. Mm. So that was super, you know, intentional on my end of, okay, I want it to not taste like alcohol. I want it to not have preservatives, which is like kind of unheard of because every product has preservatives in this space. Pretty much. I wanted it to, you know, taste sophisticated. I wanted it to, you know, have a color that felt sophisticated and not murky and brown or some of the other colors that I had seen in other products. And yeah, so I think given that I, I had had the op- I mean, I'd had so much time during COVID where kind of people weren't really doing much other than working from home and hanging out with their pod. I was kind of just like able to, I think, do a ton of research and see kind of the demographic that I think this would most likely apply to and appeal to. So yeah, and then went to market and wasn't really able to do much in person at the launch because of you know, COVID. And we ended up having a pop up like two months after, which is really fun because then that was it. We were able to have people come in and taste it. And that was kind of a a real gift for us. And in terms of where you're focusing the most time on getting the product out now, is it getting into like bars and restaurants in New York? Is it getting into more of the bottle shops? Is it growing the D to C or like, where are you spending the most time in terms of growing the brand from a go-to-market perspective? Because I'm sure there's a lot of, like you said, adding more SKUs. Eventually, I'm sur- sure there's like back-end mm-hmm. work on additional products that you want to launch. But just like in terms of brand education, awareness, getting f- Philia into as many hands as possible, where are you most focused on right now? Yeah. So it's really funny because we launched with zero wholesale accounts. So that wasn't even something I was thinking about at the time because I was just so worried that it wouldn't really work out for us. I don't know why. I just had this fear of like, okay, a restaurant's really going to serve that much of us. I don't know. I just didn't really think of that much. It was just kind of like, okay, we'll just do D to C for now. And that'll, that'll be our thing. And then I think about like two months out, maybe we kept on having some stores, especially like Boisson, Spirited Away, reach out to us. They were like, can we please sell your product? Can we please sell your product? And we were like, okay. So I think Boisson was our first account maybe was spirited away can't remember but we now have 400 you know stores restaurants shops that sell us so that's something that i think is really great for business now because people can be shopping and then see us and kind of just pick it up at like a foxtrot or at any of these you know 
bottle shop or like curated marketplaces. Then again, we have a distributor in the New York City area. So they will service a lot of these like bodegas or smaller shops or or, like grocery stores versus us, you know, just internally can self-distribute the other ones. So like a lot of these on-prem accounts, restaurants are really great because we actually get to talk to them. And especially in New York, like I've gone to almost every single one of them and had the drink and spoken to people. So through that, I've met so many bartenders or, you know, restaurant owners, managers to shop owners. And I think that that's been just such a blessing for us because now our wholesale to D2C ratio is like 50-50 in sales. That's awesome. In terms of how you see the mindful drinking space evolve, and I think it's really interesting to your point in COVID, a lot of people drank pretty consistently throughout that time. And there was definitely a tick up. And then I think as as stuff started to go back to normal, people started to like reevaluate a little bit some of their their drinking habits potentially. And that was how I felt. It was like November 2021, where I had been a very social drinker for a long time. And I was just like, this does not make me feel as good anymore. Like it's yeah. not advancing my relationships. It's not advancing my career goals. It's like not making me feel like my best self. And I, I wanted to rethink that. And so over the past you know year and a half, I've seen how much the mindful drinking slash sober curious space has really evolved. And I still think there's so, 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 so much room to go. If you look at just purely sales out of the entire beverage industry of like what non-alcoholic is and, and you know what it can potentially be. And so I'm sure during the time where you were doing all of your research, you were looking into a lot of this too, but would love to hear your thoughts on where we are now and how you see this space evolving over time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really interesting because this definitely right now is a huge trend. I have my Google alerts on all the time for like the the non-alcoholic space and also just specifically for philia. And there's an article out about this almost every single day, if not more than one. So it's, it's really great to enter into this space that is so buzzy that people are so passionate about, but I also don't see it being this trend that will be, you know, some fad one day. Like I really believe that not drinking will become, or drinking will, alcohol will become the next like smoking cigarettes. And I remember like growing up in New York city, like when I was a kid, like every adult smoked cigs and every like teenager smoked cigs. And I think to this time now, actually now no one smokes cigarettes. And if I feel like, especially not in the areas that I ever am, or like, especially when I lived in LA, that was like, never a thing. And then I think to now where I have a little cousin who's in college, and he's 18. And he's like, yeah, I'm just like, not interested in drinking at all. That's not to say, you know, I think like psychedelics are a huge thing right now, or obviously, like marijuana has been a big thing. But I just don't see the interest in alcohol, like at least there was when I was in college. So I mean, I see this moving in that direction, totally, without a doubt. And I'm really excited about that because I think that, you know, those habits that you develop in college, that you develop at those earlier stages of your life just don't melt away. I think they only manifest in ways that can be super detrimental to your health, to your life, to your family, to your loved ones. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah, the the piece on you know, sober curious being a trend is it's an interesting point that you make because I get a little bit annoyed when people say the term trend because I'm like, no, this is a structural shift. This is not just like a fad. This is not just a trend. And, you know, this is what you're saying, right? It's not, 
It's not just like, oh, this is going to be a thing for 2023 and it's going to change. I think it's going to be exactly to your point, something that only continues to grow in interest as people realize they can they can have drinks and not they can participate and not feel the effects the next day because the reason why alcohol is like so present is because there aren't those, there weren't those other beverages that people could have. You know, you talked at the beginning of like, sure, you could have a diet Coke or you could have grapefruit juice or whatever, like, but it's not the same act of like sitting at the bar and getting like a well-crafted drink or mocktail and as that becomes more popular, as more bars have more built out non-alcoholic cocktail menus and offerings, people are going to gravitate towards that. And it only takes one person you're sitting next to to order a a mocktail and feel as though that's welcomed and the person next to you to to be inspired by that too. And that's like a lot of what I'm trying to do with my brand is like inspire people to to order the non-alcoholic drink, to ask the bartender what the options are. And as this gets more asked for, there's going to be broader distribution. There's going to be broader talk about that. And I think it's only going in a really good way. And I'm really excited about that. And I, I'd like to hear more on, you know, your decision to be a mindful drinker or what I like to call, you know, zero proof forward. I've heard you talk about occasionally liking to have a glass of wine, but you really feeling like your best self when you don't, when you aren't drinking. And so as someone who's and they're, you know, mid to to late twenties. I think you're still in your mid twenties. But how do you talk to and engage with friends as as a non as a not really big drinker, especially in New York? Right. Because I lived in New York for three years. You it's eat crazy. and drink in New York, and that's like it. You know, I that's moved the activity. To, to San Francisco. That's the daily. That's the like, activity, that's right? The big event. Yeah. Right. And um, so what? Like, what do you do? What do you do with people? How do you? hang out in social situations. And the reason I'm asking this is because I have a lot, a big community or listeners who are in New York and people who are younger who feel like they can't do this now or feel like their activities surround drinking. And so would love to hear how you approach it. Yeah. Well, first of all, I feel like I actually never drink anymore. If I, if I order a drink, I'll have a sip of it. Like, I really, unless it's a glass of wine, which I really only drink red wine and that's just for the taste. Like if there is a new non-alcoholic red wine that actually tastes like red wine, I'm here for it. I don't need red wine anymore. Like that'll be my thing. And that's kind of only really with like a meal. But even then, you know, like last weekend I was at this wedding and I, if someone ordered me a drink, I would have a sip of it. And then I would just drink water or like sparkling water with lime. Cause we were in Mexico and there weren't too many like NA options at the bars that we'd be ordering from. But I, yeah, I just have no interest anymore. Really. It's, it's just not worth it to me. It doesn't even taste great to me anymore. And I feel like a lot of my friends aren't as interested in drinking heavily as they were before, especially if we're having just like a girl's night, my friends come over and we like order dinner and are hanging out. Like no one wants to drink. Whereas like before we would have a bottle of wine and we'd all have some. So it, that definitely makes it easier. I think also just surrounding yourself yeah, with people that totally get it and don't make you feel bad about it, especially just like, I mean, my boyfriend doesn't drink that much ever anymore. He has Crohn's disease and sure he's okay with me sharing that, but like he also can't, you know, drink that much because it really hurts him. So 
yeah, just I think like having your community where people there's no shame around not drinking. There's no questioning. Like people get it. People know what I do for work and they also know my backstory and they also know that I just am not interested in drinking that much. So they get it and they don't ever pressure me. So that's great. And then I guess in New York, you know, I, I've a hundred percent shifted from having the day revolve around drinking. I can't even remember the last time that my friends and I went out and just like sat around a table and ordered drinks all day. It's just, I think maybe it's a part of becoming, getting into your later twenties. Like I'm going to be 27 and same with all my friends. Like, I don't think that anyone wants to a spend that much money <laughs> anymore, but B, they don't want to be hungover the next day. So that makes it really easy. And I think that's just maybe personally just with my own community that I've just had that they've, they've been so supportive that it hasn't really been even a thought for me anymore. So, yeah. Yeah. I, the, the piece around like a girl's night and, you know, ordering dinner and typically drinking a bottle of wine, it's because that has just been conditioned to us that you drink wine when you have a girl's night or it's a Friday. So you drink wine and how I've been rethinking everything I do is like, do I want the alcohol or do I just want something to drink? Do I just want a beverage that tastes good? And that Mm -hmm. reframing for me has completely changed the game because most of the time it's not that I want alcohol. I literally want my dinner, a nice drink, dessert, and then to go to bed. Right. You just want the ritual. um, It's just the ritual. You just want the ritual. Yes. And I think that like what you said at the beginning around, you know, during COVID separating day from night and really just wanting the ritual, like it is that it's, it's the, it's having the drink. It's not what is in the drink. And so many times when people come to me around, you know, scared around social situations or what, you know, friends are going to say, it's like, why should anyone care what drink is in your glass? And I've heard you, you talk before around like, that's other people's problems, right? Like it's their own, their own problems. Mm -hmm. If if they have a concern around what drink that you're having in your glass. And if you want to move into this sort of lifestyle, you surround your people who are going to support you and who are also into this type of lifestyle, because that's what you enjoy doing. And you want to be around other people who enjoy those activities too. And so that, you know, resonates a, a lot with me and how I feel like I've even changed my activities in the past two years or so we're like going out and getting blackout right. drunk does not sound even remotely fun anymore, but going on a hike and getting brunch and trying a new coffee shop and, you know, exploring a city like sounds, sounds way more fun. And so, you know, everything, everything that you said definitely re- resonates with me. I wanted to quickly before we, we wrap up, ask on how you feel as though the sober community looks at the mindful drinking community. And there's, I see a lot social media recently around people who have explored not drinking and calling themselves sober and wanted to to see how you feel about that term, if at all, because I know it can be sensitive for people who are actually have gone through a period of recovery and call themselves sober versus people who've just decided to be a non-drinker most of the time and also call themselves as sober, do you feel as though the sober community is, and you know, you only have one opinion, right? Because you've experienced some of it to an extent, but like, do you feel as though the sober community is excited about people being more mindful around drinking and all of these changes? Or is there 
any sort of like conflict or confusion around this new mindful drinking term? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. Again, that's not something I think I've ever been asked before, but really important to think about. I think from someone's perspective that has been actively trying to not drink because they are battling with alcoholism, I'm sure someone who is, you know, sober curious or just decided to be sober one day because they didn't, you know, like the way they felt for whatever reason might be frustrating just because it's not a matter of just like, today, I'm just going to stop drinking. Like, yay. Like it's, yeah. it's, um, it's just such a battle. So sure. But at the same time, I mean, and I really can't speak for, from an addict's perspective. Cause I, I personally don't have a drinking problem, but I feel like I, you know, you never know why someone is deciding to be sober. Like for me, it's like, you know, there are a lot of layers to why I don't want to drink as much. I don't call myself sober ever. So I'm, I'm not saying that, but I, I think that the reason why I don't want to really drink that much anymore is from, you know, growing up with an alcoholic parent. I don't like the way I feel. I, it gives me a lot of anxiety, that sort of thing. Like there are layers. So I think for, for me, you know, part of that is like trauma, right? So like, I don't know if, you know, if someone from an addict's perspective was, you know, offended by me saying I don't want to drink and that's, or, you know, if I ever wanted to call myself sober and I wasn't drinking, I don't know. Like it's, everyone has their thing. And drinking is just, the thing that I wanted to do with Philia that I think is missing in this whole space is talking honestly about alcohol consumption. There, I think people just shy away from that. And I think that there's a lot of shame and protection when it comes to those you know, people that, that are battling with addiction that just, you know, their family members don't want to share that, or they don't want to share that. Maybe, you know, I feel like AA is kind of centered around just like, you know, anonymity and, you know, keeping that to AA and, you know, it's in an underground, you know, it's in the basement of a church and just feels very like hidden. And I think that, you know, from my perspective, it was really hard to talk about. I think for me, being able to talk about what my dad went through and what I went through, I almost, I had this moment where I was like, can I talk about this? Like, is that mine to share? And then I had this whole shift where I was like, oh yeah, it is mine to share. This is my experience. Like this was affecting my life. I was, you know, dealing with the repercussions of someone else's addiction. Like that was secondhand, but directly impacted my life. So I think that, I don't know, I, I think whatever makes people feel empowered to not drink, I'm totally for the label. Do whatever you want, say whatever you want, as long as, you know, it it isn't totally offensive to somebody else. But I think that sometimes it feels like it's like the shield. If you say I'm sober, then no one questions you. And that's, I think, kind of nice to have yeah. that armor for someone who doesn't want to drink well, and doesn't want to be questioned. <laughs> yeah, I've heard from some people who say that they're just sober so that they don't get the questions. They don't get the, are right. you trying to have kids? Are you pregnant? Or, you know, like, why why not tonight? And getting pressured into drinking that night if you say that you don't want to drink, right? I've heard a right. lot of times people just using that as a label so that they don't get the follow-up questioning or pressure from other people to drink in a specific night, which I think has so much there's so much to unpack just in that like concept in yeah. and of itself and it's kind of mm -hmm. like sad that people feel like they need a label because they know they'll just get questioned around drinking alcohol right. that messes you up the next day but i think that's those are all like really good points before we get into rapid fire it's three years from now 
where do you see Philia? Where do you want it to be? And like, what does the brand look like? I see Philia. Um, I hope we have more product out because I would like for there to be more options for people. But I, I see Philia just expanding our community. I would love for there to be more conversation around alcohol consumption, more stories shared. And yeah, I think community and conversation is the most powerful tool in making people feel comfortable in committing or just feeling safe in this in this lifestyle. So yeah, I think that's the biggest thing to me. I'd love for us to, you know, be able to have a bigger team eventually to be able to kind of bring more people into this world because it's been a really special and meaningful journey. I think, you know, right now I work with two of my friends who I went to college with and they're both females and I think that's been really powerful just to be able to work with people that I really trust that understand this mission and are actively working so hard every day to make sure that everything can work out and we can achieve everything that we hope to that year. And so that's what I see. That's awesome. How did you choose friends that you knew you'd be able to work with well? Yeah, it's interesting. So when I first started Philia, a friend of mine, Riley, who does all of our e-com ops, like we all do everything. So it's, I'm going to, you know, everyone has their role, but like we all have our hands in every thought. So Riley started working with me and we were actually freshman year roommates randomly assigned at Wake. She's from LA and I'm from New York and she's just like a super, if, if we're ever going to get into any type of fight, it's because of me. Like she is Gandhi. She's literally the chillest, nicest, (laughs) hardest worker. Like if anyone's a problem, it would be me. Like she's perfect. And I hate that word, but she's just an angel. And then I, and she's, she really gets, I think, you know, where I'm headed with this. And she's so a part of that. I never say that any of my friends work or any of the people that work with me work for me. It's like work with me. Like we're all peers. And I, I, almost never call myself CEO, even though I guess that's what I am. But I just feel like it's such a team effort that it's just like unfair at this point, give myself more credit than them because we all are working so hard every day to make this happen. And then uh, Vivian recently came on as our head of sales and strategic partnerships. And she has been one of my best friends in college as well. And is just a really hard worker. She just like, I don't know if you can curse on this podcast, but she gets shit done and she's just a badass. So, you know, I think you you have to have that conversation with friends and just be like, hey, if you ever have a point where you want to leave or you see another job that's more appealing to you, like, I want you to take that. I want you to be happy. Don't feel like this will be anything personal against me. And, you know, so we have this whole structure, I think, built on just like, let's be honest with each other. Let's talk it out if there's ever an issue. And we're all so forgiving on mistakes or errors or just like if you know it's just been actually really great so I I I hate to brag because I know it's not an easy thing to achieve but it's been really great no that's awesome like working with two of your best friends on something you're super passionate about is the dream so that's very cool very lucky all right we are gonna do some quick questions and this show and my brand is called host by Tori. This is the host by Tori show. I like to reimagine the word host because I feel like when you're hosting people, Mm. drinking is at the center, but it doesn't need to be alcohol. You can reimagine hosting without alcohol as the, as the forefront and surrounding it. And so if someone had to describe your hosting style in one word, what would it be? 
Let's say this can be like hosting an event for Philia eclectic. Yeah. I feel like I'm always coming out with like a bunch of different little things and I'm like, try this or try this. And everyone's like, what is all this? Like I, but I always have like little bowls out, little things and little, like, you know, obviously a million mocktail options. So I feel like that's what my friends would say about me. Amazing. What is your favorite drink? Philia is probably one, but what's another one? Mm. Oh my God. I cannot remember the name of this brand. It's in my fridge. I'm going to go get it. I have to tell you because it's <laughs> honestly my favorite. And it, well, I love unified ferments. So shout out to them. Oh, Casamara Club, bitters and soda. I like oh. go to any NA bottle shop and I buy that because I think that they're awesome. They reached out to us like right when we launched and we did a product trade and I was like, oh my God, this stuff is so good. And then, yeah, I would say Unified Ferments because it kind of feels like you're drinking like a fun bottle of like natural wine or something. Like the bottle is really beautiful and they just have achieved something special with the way that they've made these. So yeah, those would be my faves. Love that. What is your favorite type of get together? Mm, Probably something with like all of my best friends where we can all just have like snacks and drinks, whatever anyone wants. I probably would have a big mocktail. I don't even like the word mocktail actually, uh, NA spread. And it would be probably like spring, summer, and we could be outside somewhere. That sounds fabulous. And then last one, do you prefer to host or be hosted? Host. Love hosting. Okay, good. Lily, tell us where we can find you and how we can support you best. And also, how is the best way to drink Philia? Like, what's your best suggestion Mm. for how people drink it or like how to mix it up? So you can find us online at drinkphilia.com or on Instagram at drinkphilia. You can find us at 400 stores now. Just go on our website. On the top right, you'll see find us and then just plug in your zip codes. You can see what store is nearest to you or restaurant. If you're in New York or LA, like there are so many restaurants and we want to get to a lot of other cities. So let us know if you ever have any suggestions. And the best way to serve Philia, I really like with a little squeeze of lime or lemon and seltzer water. But I do love our cans. It's kind of like the lazy, you know, laziest way to serve it. But it's so good. And I feel like our color is like ultra vibrant in the can for some reason. I think it's because of the heating process. So we, yeah, we basically achieved this like ruby red color and it looks just incredible in the glass. So I also love our can. Amazing. Well, thank you for coming on and everyone go check out Philia. Let us know what you think and we'll see you later. Thanks. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. As you know, I am not a specialist and I'm not trained to give advice whatsoever. These are just my own personal thoughts and conversations. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the show if you can. It helps so, so much. And feel free to find me on social channels, Post by Tori. See ya! See ya!